Good day, my internet friends. My name is Bill, and this is Bible in a Year with Bill. Today, we are on day 138. It's May 19th, and today we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapters 13 to 15, and then we're going to finish off today's reading with Proverbs chapter 26, verses 17 to 28. So let's get right into it. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul was a young man when he began as king. He was king over Israel for many years. Saul conscripted enough men for three companies of soldiers. He kept two companies under his command at Michmash and in the Bethel Hills. The other company was under Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. He sent the rest of the men home. Jonathan attacked and killed the Philistine governor stationed at Geba, which is Gibeah. When the Philistines heard the news, they raised the alarm. The Hebrews are in revolt. Saul ordered the reveille trumpets blown throughout the land. The word went out all over Israel. Saul has killed the Philistine governor, drawn first blood. The Philistines are stirred up and mad as hornets. Summoned, the army came to Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines rattled, rallied their forces to fight Israel. Three companies of chariots, six companies of cavalry, and so many infantry they looked like sand on the seashore. They went up into the hills and set up camp at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that they were way outnumbered and in deep trouble, they ran for cover, hiding in caves and pits, ravines and brambles and cisterns, wherever. They retreated across the Jordan River, refugees fleeing to the country of Gad and Gilead. But Saul held his ground in Gilgal, his soldiers still with him, but scared to death. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. Samuel failed to show up at Gilgal, and the soldiers were slipping away, right and left. So Saul took charge, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. He went ahead and sacrificed the burnt offering. No sooner had he done it than Saul showed up, or Saul, sorry, than Samuel showed up. Saul greeted him. Samuel said, what on earth are you doing? Saul answered, When I saw I was losing my army from under me, and that you hadn't come when you said you would, and that the Philistines were poised at Michmash, I said, The Philistines are about to come down on me in Gilgal, and I haven't yet come before God asking for his help. So I took things into my own hands and sacrificed the burnt offering. That was a fool thing to do, Samuel said to Saul. If you had kept the appointment that your God commanded, by now God would have set a firm and lasting foundation under your kingly rule over Israel. As it is, your kingly rule is already falling to pieces. God is out looking for your replacement right now. This time he'll do the choosing. When he finds him, he'll appoint him leader of his people, and all because you didn't keep your appointment with God. At that, Samuel got up and left Gilgal. What army there was left followed Saul into battle. They went into the hills from Gilgal toward Gibeah in Benjamin. Saul looked over and assessed the soldiers still with him, a mere six hundred. Saul, his son Jonathan, and the soldiers who had remained made camp at Geba or Gibeah of Benjamin. The Philistines were camped at Michmash. Three squads of raiding parties were regularly sent out from the Philistine camp. One squadron was assigned to the Ophra Road going toward Shuel country. Another was assigned to the Beth Horon Road. The third took the border road that rimmed the Valley of Hyenas. There wasn't a blacksmith to be found anywhere in Israel. The Philistines made sure of that, lest those Hebrews start making swords and spears. That meant that the Israelites had to go down among the Philistines to keep their farm tools, plowshares and mattocks, axes and sickles. 
sharp and in good repair. They charged a silver coin for the plowshares and mattocks, and half that for the rest. So when the battle of Michmash was joined, there wasn't a sword or spear to be found anywhere in Israel, except for Saul and his son Jonathan. They were both well armed. A patrol of Philistines took up a position at Michmash Pass. 1 Samuel chapter 14 Later that day, Jonathan, Saul's son, said to his armor-bearer, Come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison patrol on the other side of the pass. But he didn't tell his father. Meanwhile, Saul was taking it easy under the pomegranate tree at the threshing floor on the edge of town at Giba, which is Gibeah. There were about 600 men with him. Ahijah, wearing the priestly ephod, was there also. Ahijah was the son of Ahitub, brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, who was the son of Eli, the priest of God at Shiloh. No one there knew that Jonathan had gone off. The pass that Jonathan was planning to cross over to the Philistine garrison was flanked on either side by sharp rock outcroppings, cliffs named Bozes and Sini. The cliff to the north faced Michmash. The cliff to the south faced Giba or Gibeah. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come on now, let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. His armor-bearer said, Go ahead, do what you think best. I'm with you all the way. Jonathan said, Here's what we'll do. We'll cross over the pass and let the men see we're there. If they say, Halt, don't move until we check you out, we'll stay put and not go up. But if they say, Come on up, we'll go right up, and we'll know God has given them to us. That will be our sign. So they did it, the two of them. They stepped into the open where they could be seen by the Philistine garrison. The Philistines shouted out, Look at that! The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes! Then they yelled down to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come on up here! We've got a thing or two to show you. Jonathan shouted to his armor-bearer, Up! Follow me! God has turned them over to Israel. Jonathan scrambled up on all fours, his armor-bearer right on his heels. When the Philistines came running up to them, he knocked them flat, his armor-bearer right behind, finishing them off, bashing their heads in with stones. In this first bloody encounter, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed about 20 men. That set off a terrific upheaval in both camp and field. The soldiers in the garrison and the raiding squad badly shaken up, the ground itself shuddering, panic like you've never seen before. Saul's sentries posted back at Geba in Benjamin saw the confusion and turmoil raging in the camp. Saul commanded, line up and take the roll, see who's here and who's missing. When they called the roll, Jonathan and his armor-bearer turned up missing. Saul ordered Ahijah, Bring the priestly ephod. Let's see what God has to say here. Ahijah was responsible for the ephod in those days. While Saul was in conversation with the priest, the upheaval in the Philistine camp became greater and louder. Then Saul interrupted Ahijah, Put the ephod away. Saul immediately called his army together, and they went straight to the battle. When they got there, they found total confusion, Philistines swinging their swords wildly, killing each other. Hebrews who had earlier defected to the Philistine camp came back. They now wanted to be with Israel under Saul and Jonathan. Not only that, but when all the Israelites who had been hiding out in the backwoods of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were running for their lives, they came out and joined the chase. God saved Israel. What a day! The fighting moved on to Beth-Avon. The whole army was behind Saul now, 10,000 strong, with the fighting scattering into all the towns throughout the hills of Ephraim. 
Saul did something real, something really foolish that day. He addressed the army. A curse on the man who eats anything before evening, before I've wreaked vengeance on my enemies. None of them ate a thing all day. There were honeycombs here and there in the fields, but no one so much as put his finger in the honey to taste it. For the soldiers to a man, for the soldiers to a man feared the curse. But Jonathan hadn't heard this father. His father put the army under oath. He stuck the tip of his staff into some honey and ate it. Refreshed, his eyes lit up with renewed vigor. A soldier spoke up. Your father has put the army under solemn oath, saying a curse on the man who eats anything before evening. No wonder the soldiers are drooping. Jonathan said, My father has imperiled the country. Just look how quickly my energy has returned since I ate a little of this honey. It would have been a lot better, believe me, if the soldiers had eaten their fill of whatever they took from the enemy. Who knows how much worse we could have whipped them. They killed Philistines that day all the way from Michmash to Aijalon, but the soldiers ended up totally exhausted. Then they started plundering. They grabbed anything in sight, sheep, cattle, calves, and butchered it where they found it. Then they glutted themselves, meat, blood, the works. Saul was told, do something. The soldiers are sinning against God. They're eating meat with the blood still in it. Saul said, you're biting the hand that feeds you. Roll a big rock over here now. He continued, disperse among the troops and tell them, bring your oxen and sheep to me and butcher them properly here. Then you can feast to your heart's content. Please don't sin against God by eating meat with the blood still in it. And so they did. That night, each soldier, one after another, led his animal there to be butchered. That's the story behind Saul's building an altar to God. It's the first altar to God that he built. Saul said, let's go after the Philistines tonight. We can spend the night looting and plundering. We won't leave a single live Philistine. Sounds good to us, said the troops. Let's do it. But the priests slowed them down. Let's find out what God thinks about this. So Saul prayed to God, Shall I go after the Philistines? Will you put them in Israel's hand? God didn't answer him on that occasion. Saul then said, All army officers step forward. Some sin has been committed this day. We're going to find out what it is and who did it. As God lives, Israel's Savior God, whoever sinned will die, even if it should turn out to be Jonathan, my son. Nobody said a word. Saul said to the Israelites, You line up over on that side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will stand on this side. The army agreed, Fine, whatever you say. Then Saul prayed to God, O God of Israel, why haven't you answered me today? Show me the truth. If the sin is in me or Jonathan, then, O God, give the sign Urim. But if the sin is in the army of Israel, give the sign Thummim. The Urim sign turned up and pointed to Saul and Jonathan. That cleared the army. Next, Saul said, Cast the lots between me and Jonathan, and death to the one God points to. The soldiers protested, No, this is not right. Stop this. But Saul pushed on anyway. They cast the lots, Urim and Thummim, and the lot fell to Jonathan. Saul confronted Jonathan. What did you do? Tell me. Jonathan said, I licked a bit of honey off the tip of the staff I was carrying. That's it. And for that, I'm to die? Saul said, Yes, Jonathan, certainly most. Yes, Jonathan, most certainly will die. It's out of my hands. I I can't go against God, can I? The soldiers rose up. Jonathan, die? Never. He's just carried out this stunning salvation victory for Israel. As surely as God lives, not a hair on his head is going to be harmed. Why, he's been working hand in hand with God all day. 
The soldiers rescued Jonathan, and he didn't die. Saul pulled back from chasing the Philistines, and the Philistines went home. Saul extended his rule, capturing neighboring kingdoms. He fought enemies on every front. Moab, Ammon, Edom, the king of Zobah, the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he came up with a victory. He became invincible. He smashed Amalek, freeing Israel from the savagery and looting. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. His daughters were Merab, the firstborn, and Michal, the younger. Saul's wife was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaz. Abner, son of Ner, was commander of Saul's army. Ner was Saul's uncle. Kish, Saul's father, and Ner, Abner's father, were the sons of Abiel. All through Saul's life there was war, bitter and relentless, with the Philistines. Saul conscripted every strong and brave man he laid eyes on. 1 Samuel chapter 15 Samuel said to Saul, God sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now listen again to what God says. This is the God of the angel army speaking. I'm about to get even with Amalek for ambushing Israel when Israel came up out of Egypt. Here's what you are to do. Go to war against Amalek. Put everything connected with Amalek under a holy ban. And no exceptions. This is to be total destruction. Men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. The works. Saul called together the army together at Telaim and prepared them to go to war. Two hundred companies of infantry from Israel and another ten companies from Judah. Saul marched to Amalek city and hid in the canyon. Then Saul got word to the Kenites, Get out of here while you can. Evacuate the city right now or you'll get lumped in with the Amalekites. I'm warning you because you showed real kindness to the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. And they did. The Kenites evacuated the place. Then Saul went after Amalek from the canyon all the way to Shur near the Egyptian border. He captured Agag, king of Amalek, alive. Everyone else was killed under the terms of the holy ban. Saul and the army made an exception for Agag and for the choice sheep and cattle. They didn't include them under the terms of the holy ban. But all the rest, which nobody wanted anyway, they destroyed as decreed by the holy ban. Then God spoke to Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. He's turned his back on me. He refuses to do what I tell him. Samuel was angry when he heard this. He prayed his anger and disappointment all through the night. He got up early in the morning to confront Saul, but was told, Saul's gone. He went to Carmel to set up a victory monument in his own honor, and then was headed for Gilgal. By the time Samuel caught up with him, Saul had just finished an act of worship, having used Amalekite plunder for the burnt offering sacrificed to God. As Samuel came close, Saul called out, God's blessings on you. I accomplished God's plan to the letter. Samuel said, So what's this I'm hearing? This bleeding of sheep, this mooing of cattle. Only some Amalekite loot, said Saul. The soldiers saved back a few of the choice cattle and sheep to offer up in sacrifice to God. But everything else we destroyed under the holy ban. Enough, interrupted Samuel. Let me tell you what God told me last night. Saul said, go ahead, tell me. And Samuel told him, when you started out in this, you were nothing and you knew it. Then God put you at the head of Israel, made you king over Israel. Then God sent you off to do a job for him, ordering you, go and put these sinners, the Amalekites, under a holy ban. Go to war against them until you have totally wiped them out. So why did you not obey God? Why did you grab all this loot? Why, with God's eyes on you all the time, did you brazenly carry out this evil? Saul 
defended himself. What are you talking about? I did obey God. I did the job God set for me. I brought in King Agag and destroyed the Amalekites under the terms of the holy ban. So just so the soldiers saved back a few choice sheep and cattle from the holy ban for sacrifice to God at Gilgal. What's wrong with that? Then Samuel said, Do you think all God wants are sacrifices, empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. Not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. Saul gave in and confessed, I've sinned. I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing the people. I let them tell me what to do. Oh, absolve me of my sin. Take my hand and lead me to the altar so I can worship God. But Samuel refused. No, I can't come alongside you in this. You rejected God's command. Now God has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul grabbed at his priestly robe and a piece tore off. Samuel said, God has just now torn the kingdom from you and handed over to your neighbor a better man than you are. Israel's God of glory doesn't deceive and he doesn't dither. He says what he means and means what he says. Saul tried again. I have sinned, but don't abandon me. Support me with your presence before the leaders and the people. Come alongside me as I go back to worship God. Samuel did. He went back with him, and Saul went to his knees before God and worshipped. Then Samuel said, Present King Agag of Amalek to me. Agag came, dragging his feet, muttering that he'd be better off dead. Samuel said, Just as your sword made many a woman childless, so your mother will be childless among those women. And Samuel cut Agag down in the presence of God right there in Gilgal. Samuel left immediately for Ramah, and Saul went home to Gibeah. Samuel had nothing to do with Saul from then on, though he grieved long and deeply over him. But God was sorry he had ever made Saul king in the first place. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 17 to 28. You grab a mad dog by the ears when you butt into a quarrel that's none of your business. People who shrug off deliberate deceptions, saying, I didn't mean it, I was only joking, are worse than careless campers who walk away from smoldering campfires. When you run out of wood, the fire goes out. When the gossip ends, the quarrel dies down. A quarrelsome person in a dispute is like kerosene thrown on a fire. Listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Do you want junk like that in your belly? Smooth talk from an evil heart is like glaze on cracked pottery. Your enemy shakes hands and greets you like an old friend, all the while conniving against you. When he speaks warmly to you, don't believe him for a minute. He's just waiting for the chance to rip you off. No matter how cunningly he conceals his malice, eventually his evil will be exposed in public. Malice backfires, spite boomerangs. Liars hate their victims, flatterers sabotage trust.
When the Philistines gathered to attack Israel at, at Geba, the Israelites were badly outnumbered. King Saul grew tired of waiting for Samuel to instruct him about the battle at hand. Samuel delayed, and Saul's men began to desert, but he made a big mistake by panicking. We are to obey God's command in all circumstances. Saul lost his kingdom because he disobeyed God. He was pressured to act before all his men deserted. Lack of patience cost him everything. We've all uttered this prayer at one time or another, Lord, give me patience, and I want it right now. <laughs> it's awfully hard for a society that exists on frozen dinners, fast food, shopping at your fingertips, and freeway express lanes to teach its young how to wait. In fact, it's next to impossible. Sometimes we would rather do anything than wait. If the truth were known, some of us would rather do the wrong thing than wait. I have found that waiting is the rule rather than the exception in life. The exception is an open door. When you have one, go. They don't happen very often. More often than not, however, the door is closed. But take heart in knowing that waiting when the door is closed doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. He could, you could be right in the center of his will. Like Saul, sometimes it's easy to compromise when people are waiting for you to act. Determine that no matter the pressure, no matter the cost, no matter the delay, you will act only when your response honors God. Never compromise your integrity to satisfy others. Thank you for your spending your time with me here today on Bible in a Year with Bill. I'm here every day, same time, same place. Hope to see you again soon. Take care now.